All right, friends. Uh, let's let's dive in today to our uh, I think our third week, kind of on exploring um, this this topic. But I'll I'll tell you more about that in a second. Have you ever watched a movie with someone and you found some some theme within it or or some part of the storyline so profound and so really incredible or or just interesting and and you talk with your friend or your spouse afterwards and they thought the entire point was completely different than what you thought? You ever had one of those moments? Uh, it's frustrating, right? How you can hear the same thing and come to totally different conclusions, isn't it? So today it's time for questions with Jesus, right? The part of the morning where Jesus asks us hard questions and we stumble our way through trying to figure out how to respond faithfully. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to look at a question that Jesus asks that's in a really, really popular story. And often, when, when I've spoken on this or when someone else has taught on this at LifePath, the focus has been on the story that Jesus tells as a result. We're going to touch on that, but what we really want to lean into is the major question that Jesus asks to kick things off. All right. And so the story is from Luke and uh, is from Luke chapter 10. And here's, here's how it goes in verse 25, and I'll just kind of explain it as we go here just a little bit. On, on one occasion, an expert in the law, read a Bible scholar, okay, uh, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. When we talk about the law, we're talking about the, uh, the, mostly the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, but really the law often meant the entire Hebrew Bible, the entire Old Testament. So an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life means the, the life of the age to come, the life of this kingdom that Jesus had been talking about, something that, that had something to do with the now and goes on into forever, okay? The life in the age to come is the best way to describe this and, and, and say, but what do I have to do to experience, right, um, to inherit, to be given eternal life? Let's respond. So he's asked a question, and like we did last week, Jesus asks a question in response. And he says, what is written in the law? He asked. Now, now, a question like that, what is written in the law? Well, what's the Bible say? Is a very good question, right? A very helpful question. What, what, what does the scripture say about this? And Jesus could have just left it there, but he didn't. So what Jesus did is he says, what is written in the law? And then he adds a follow-up question. And that follow-up question is, how do you read it? How do you read it? is the next question that Jesus asks. Some translations say, how do you interpret it? So Jesus says, what does the Bible say? And then adds, and, and how do you interpret it? Which is interesting, because what Jesus is doing here is, is he is suggesting quite directly that this man has his own interpretation. That sounds obvious, that sounds clear, but it's important to note that when Jesus says, what does the Bible say? He follows that up with the question that says, and, and how do you read it? Because you might be reading it in a different way than that person, and in a different way than that person, and in a different way than me. And so, so the story continues on, but we have to keep in mind this entire time, we have to keep in mind that question, that at the beginning of this story, Jesus says, how do you read the scripture? And so, so the man responds and he says, 
uh, well, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind, your soul and your strength, and, uh, and you know, love your neighbor as yourself. So he quotes Deuteronomy 6 and, and Leviticus 19, and he, dude nails it, right? It's a good quote, solid. Jesus even affirms at other points in the scriptures that this indeed is the center point of experiencing life with God. All right, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But the guy has a follow-up question. So Jesus says, yes, you got it right. Well done. And that whole question in the back of how is still hanging there. Because Jesus knows that this guy reads it in slightly a different way than Jesus does. And so then this man follows up. And he asks Jesus, well, and, and who is my neighbor? And we'll get to the motivation behind that in just a minute. But he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into a very well-known story. We call it the Good Samaritan story. And the story goes, there's a Jewish man who's walking down a road and he gets attacked. He's left on the side of the road and two people come by. And they're both other Jewish people, a priest and a Levite. And they do not help the man, even though he's bleeding and lying on the side of the road and he needs help. They don't help him because to do so would disobey their uh, purest, their... their um, their laws about purity um, and not becoming uh, unclean by touching this man. And so because of, their, uh, <laughs> because of their faithfulness to God, they ignore this man. But then comes along a Samaritan, and as you know, probably, a Samaritan notices this man, sees this man, goes over to this man, cares for this man, and becomes the hero of the story. All right? And so, so th this is exactly what happens, and Jesus is using this to clarify some things for those who are listening and for this man. And what we do often is we say, well, yeah, this is Jesus explaining what it means to be a good neighbor. And it's true. He is. But there's something more at work here if we keep in mind that the first question Jesus asked was, what does the law say? What is written in the law? And how do you read it? Okay, so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at what Jesus is actually teaching us, not specifically about being a good neighbor, because we've talked about that many times, but specifically what Jesus is teaching this man about how he is interpreting the scriptures. And then we're going to look at the broad areas of how we actually read the Bible, what the lenses are, and, and how maybe we can move toward a faithful reading that's consistent. So, so uh, this story does uniquely affect how we're intended to read the Bible. And one of the things that we see is that Jesus, by saying all of these things about um, who your neighbor is and what it means to interpret loving your neighbor in this way with a Samaritan involved, he is suggesting that a life-giving interpretation of the Bible, of the Torah, the law, is characterized by compassion, by action, by solidarity with the suffering. Do you notice that he uses these things in the story to help explain the key points of the scriptures? He also suggests that while you might know the Bible very well, you can embody the law, you can embody the scripture in a way that leads you to this, justifying a lack of compassion through external righteousness or holiness. Simply put, on a small level, the Samaritan story itself tells us that if your religious interpretations in any way lead you to ignore God's deep compassion 
for the suffering, then it would be better for you to imitate a compassionate atheist than a righteous believer. What a challenge to the way that we read the Bible, right? What we see in this little story is Jesus helping this man understand that his interpretation needed Jesus' direction in order to really get it right. In order to listen to Jesus, sometimes we need to reinterpret what we see when we look to the Bible. We need to let Jesus adjust how we see everything. Sometimes faithfulness to Jesus requires us to outright disobey the Bible. Does that feel really yucky to you? It's, it's, that's meant to be a really provocative statement, obviously. But but the 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 core of it is actually true. Multiple times when Jesus is teaching people, he says, you've heard it said, but I am telling you this, or it is written, which is, he usually quotes Deuteronomy or Leviticus during that time, it is written, but I tell you, it's written an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, but I tell you to love your enemies. I tell you to not resist evil with evil. I tell you to turn the other cheek. Jesus is constantly reorienting people, and sometimes that means he's saying, listen, your interpretation of all of this, it needs to change. <sighs> Jesus is, uh, is frequently intentionally provocative. Um, but Jesus does indeed change how we see the whole. That might feel really, really obvious to you, but let's continue on this path to understand how radically that actually is, or how radical that actually is in our world. Because if we do not let this happen, if we do not let Jesus change how we look at all of our scriptures that we have, the entire Bible, then what we will do is we will turn God into whomever we desire God to be. We will find the things that that elevate the type of God that we want to agree with us. And then we will rest in that view. But if Jesus is the one changing how we view the scriptures, that can't happen. The temptation is that we will then, unfortunately, if we don't let Jesus lead the way, the temptation is that the Bible will become weaponized against whomever our perceived enemies are. So the real question then is, how do we read the Bible? If Jesus says, what's written in the law and how do you read it? We have to acknowledge how we do read the Bible often. Um, so we're going to ask that question, and then we're going to ask, how might Jesus change the way that we read the, the Bible? So um, the first thing is, I'll teach you a new phrase if you don't know this one, um, but we tend to read the Bible based on our social location. All right. So, your social location is where you stand in the world based on all of the things that have happened to you or that, um, that you are born into, okay? So your social location affects how you understand and perceive everything around you. Your social location might be your economic status, the country that you were born in, what has happened to you, um, what your... Um, cultural, racial, ethnic background is, your gender. Um, all of these things are the types of things that will affect what you see when you look at the Bible. And here's the thing, when we don't realize that, we assume that everybody looks and sees, sees this at the exact same time, sees it in the exact same way. 
Um, in, in the book called Reading the Bible from the Margins, author uh, Miguel de la Torre, he talks about how different it is to see the Bible from certain lenses. Um, and he speaks uh, about uh, an example that I find really interesting. Um, he speaks of the command that six days you shall labor and one day you shall rest. For many of us, reading a command like that is about learning how to practice the Sabbath. That's, that's what God is calling us to do, is learning, learning how to rest well in, in God. Um, but for someone living in poverty, but for someone who just got out of jail and still has to check a box on every single job application that makes him almost unhirable, he reads that and says, God is calling me to work, but I'm having trouble living faithfully this scripture. Right? You see how a different situation, a different cultural or social location brings a different perspective. We assume that our interpretation is always the clear one and the only one. But we need to understand that we can't possibly see the scriptures as they are unless we understand how various people in various cultural and social locations are seeing the same words that we are. Here's, here's another example. Most of you are not descended from slaves. Can you imagine reading in the New Testament that slaves are supposed to obey their masters as serving the Lord? Can you imagine how that could drive someone away from God the first time they read those words if they're just pulled out and used as the word of God? Period. With no connection to the whole story, with no connection to the character of God. And, and this isn't just low-hanging fruit. This has been done many, many times over the course of our Christian history. And other things very similar to it. See, certain things will strike us based on our, our social location and we'll completely miss other things that might be really, really important to uh, unpack and explore to other people. That's why it's important that we as Christians hear what Christians in other social locations are seeing when they humbly come to Scripture as well. Truly humbly coming to Scripture from a perspective that is different than ours and realizing what the things are that bring them joy, that connect with their hearts, that they struggle with. That's really, really beautiful. So we have to understand that when Jesus asks us a question, like, how do you read it? The answer is going to be, well, we often read it from our social location. And that is unique to us. The second thing that becomes problematic, and this is just the way it is. We can't get away from our social location, friends. All we can do is make sure that we learn that ours is not the only one. Okay? Um, the second thing is uh, we tend to read the Bible based on our personal motivations. And this one I find really, really interesting. Um, in verse 29, after Jesus, uh, after this man answers and says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength or all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And then in verse 29, we learn a little bit more about what's going on with this man's interpretation. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asks us, and who is my neighbor? 
Now, do we see that the motivation behind his exploration of the scriptures, behind his questions, are that he wants to justify himself? He, he wants to prove himself right instead of learning the beauty of what's happening in the scripture and in God's heart. Um, he wanted to find the exceptions. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, this idea of, of exceptions and wondering why we, are, why we tend to be so obsessed with finding them. Uh, why, why do you think we care so much about finding the exception to the rule? When Jesus asks us questions in life, within your spirit, within the scriptures, how often do we ask questions back looking for that exception? When we encounter Jesus, why is there such a strong pull to figure out where the loophole might be? Look, look at the Bible. This question, who is my neighbor, is motivated by a desire to find the exception of who isn't my neighbor. Who, who really is my neighbor so that I can know who I'm supposed to really love, and who's beyond that scope, is what this man is asking. Because I'd like to justify myself in not loving the people that I can get away with not loving. How many times should I forgive, Peter asks Jesus, after Jesus speaks of forgiveness? How many times exactly? to seven, Peter says, because seven is like a number of completion. Like he's looking for the loophole. He's looking for the exception. He's looking to find out when his forgiveness is allowed to end so he doesn't have to continue to forgive. <laughs> you know, the, think of the disciples. We know, Jesus, that you said love our enemies and, and do good to people that hate us just a couple chapters ago, but should we call down fire and destroy the people in that town who didn't welcome us just now? That's the question that James and John ask, right? I, I mean, these folks are surely the exception to the whole loving our enemies thing, right? I mean, I mean, definitely the exception. Did you see the way that they rejected us? How about, how about have faith? The disciples say, have faith, Jesus? Yes, we, we do have faith. I mean, we've seen your miracles, but this water surely seems too rough for even you. I mean, we're talking about the chaos of the sea. Surely this is an exception to your power. We do this all the time, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. And immediately the question comes up, but what if someone's attacking my family? Why on earth, can I just ask, is that the first question that we go to? A situation that almost none of us will ever encounter in our lives. What is the motivation behind the questions that we ask of Jesus? We, we do these sorts of things so often, but there's a silver lining to all of this. When we find ourselves looking for an exception, there's an opportunity for us to begin to acknowledge that there are norms when it comes to Jesus, right? So let's, instead of figuring out where the exceptions are, let's seek to understand and practice the norms of Jesus better. The norm. Jesus teaches us nonviolence. The norm. Jesus teaches us to care for the poor with deep generosity. The norm. Jesus teaches us to forgive those who wrong us. The norm. Jesus teaches us to love and pray for our enemies. The norm. Jesus teaches us that every human life has inherent value and worth. The norm. Jesus teaches us that God is more full of grace, more forgiving, more welcoming than anybody thought, with one important exception that is worth noting. 
And that exception is the religious folks who use their religious standing as a tool to condemn, judge, or exclude other people. Jesus is clear that those folks are not welcomed into the kingdom without deep transformation that is necessary. First, the norm is that what happens inside our heart and inside our mind matters a lot. And it's not just about what we do out here. These are the norms of Jesus. Let's learn them rather than look for the loopholes. Um, I, I just get this image, <laughs> maybe from uh, all of my uh, college years watching Dumb and Dumber on repeats, but I get this image of every time that in our head that we say, but, but Jesus, what about that, that Jesus just puts his like finger right on our lips, right? And just says, shh, I know what you're doing. Don't. Start to learn the norm instead of looking for the exception. So, all right, all of, all of this leads us to the question of what exactly is then um, the faithful response to how we read? If, if, the, if the way we often read has its own biases and its own selfish pulls, what exactly is a faithful way to respond? You ready for this? It's really complex. We do our best. Honestly, we do our best. There's no perfect system for all of this to figure it all out. We have to have the Spirit's help. But here's how we have a consistent, honest attempt at doing our best to interpret the scriptures correctly. Um, first, is that we have to be absolutely clear that Jesus is, that says Jesus number one. It's like a little like flag. Maybe, uh, maybe you can wave that during the Super Bowl today. Jesus is number one. I'm a fan of Jesus. Um, so, so Jesus being the point of the Bible is crucial to understanding the rest of the scriptures. Okay. So, so, um, our lack, the, the fancy word for this is Christocentrism, Jesus at the center. And our lack of Christocentrism leads us to, to read the Bible in all sorts of different ways. Like we said, faithful Bible believing Jews were looking for the Messiah in New Testament times, but because of how they read the Bible, they couldn't receive Jesus when he came. This, this should come as a grave warning to us, lest we think that we're out of the woods with, with all of that stuff and above such mistakes. Um, we can read the Bible and miss the point of it all. The point of it all is Jesus. But when we find Jesus, we realize that everything else has been pointing toward him and everything changes. Jesus is the shiniest of God's shiny. All right. Uh, the literal words of Hebrews say that Jesus is the substance of God. All right. So, so when we understand that the whole, Jesus says, listen, in, in John, he says, listen, you guys are looking, you're looking into the Bible because you think that that's where eternal life's going to be. You think that that's the answer, but the Bible is pointing to me. You're continuing to sit in here, missing the fact that it culminates in the one standing before you. That should, that should totally change how we understand our entire faith. The scriptures point us toward the connection and the rescue and the transformation that comes in Jesus. Secondly, once we get there, then we move um, 
to the point that when it's not just that everything leads to Jesus, but then Jesus is the lens by which we see everything else. Okay. I don't know if you watched or remember the movie, the sixth sense many years ago, but the last 60 seconds of that movie changed the entire understanding of everything else. Right? So once you see it, once you see where the movie culminates to, then you go back and you look at everything over again and it looks different because you see all the clues and now you get a chance to see the whole story. So if you read the Old Testament without Jesus, you get a completely different view of kind of what the Messiah is going to be like. I don't mean you don't get any view of the character of God. You do. It's all over the place. But you have to learn how to look for it. <laughs> Because it's a, it's a story of people's journey with God and trying to learn faithfulness. And sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes they misrepresent God. Sometimes they faithfully represent God. And so when you look at it through the lens of Jesus, you are looking to see where is God revealing new elements of God's character? Where is he moving people toward the fullness of what he would one day call us to in discipleship? Where do we see God's faithfulness as a God that looks like Jesus over and over again. So if you just read the, the Bible without that lens, then you can often get a feel that obedience to the law is the right way to be, is, is the way to be right with God, instead of experiencing the grace of God freely. But all this stuff gets changed after Jesus. Paul even says that the law itself was a negative object lesson. But so, so like Jesus did in Luke 10 with this guy and giving him a new lens to look he adjusts this guy's perspective to look at what it means to be a neighbor and to love his neighbor. We need to learn the lens of Jesus too. Interestingly, this guy in, in Luke 10, his primary lens was his Jewishness. Um, that's why it was so difficult for him to see a Samaritan within the realm of, of neighbor. Okay, um, That's really, really important. Often our primary lens for many of us is, is our Americanness. Um, it can cause us to miss things because American values are often described with Christian language. And, and so, so what ends up happening is that we, we avoid kind of some of the faithful things of the kingdom uh, that seem to, to challenge that lens or make us uncomfortable. Like if we read Jesus and we are to be people of reconciliation and compassion, then we still have so much work to do to talk about the roots of racial inequality that are continuing in our country today, though we'd rather not talk about it. It's hard. Or if we're faithful to Jesus's call to both generosity and, and justice, then, then we can't ignore the immense economic inequality that Jesus would be appalled by in our world when he talks about money being its own God, right? Uh, but because we are reading our Bibles with the values of Jesus and the lens of Jesus first and foremost, we start to catch these things and not ignore them because it's easier or more comfortable for us. We also can't read the Bible then with, with the Jesus lens without seeing that there is a real need for our personal repentance and rescue and salvation in Jesus. It's not just about what we do out there. It's about all of the things that happen in here. And we can't get away from that if we actually let Jesus define everything. We see the Bible as holistic and we see that it all is pointing toward Jesus, who both leads us to personal, absolute, flipped around transformation and rescue and total care for the world around us with abandon.
Um, if we have our own lenses, we'll miss the best news of the Bible that bursts forth through the love and grace of Jesus. Um, so Jesus has to become our interpretive lens. Otherwise, we'll just prioritize the things that we're most comfortable with all the time. Finally, and uh, we're, we're just about done, let me mention this last piece because I can't, I can't stress it enough. So, so in order for us um, to be faithful, we have to see Jesus as the culmination of the scriptures. We have to let Jesus set our lens for how we look at everything else. And finally, um, we have to have a heart of humility. At the end of the day, all of this is actually not about us figuring it out and getting it right. It's more about the heart posture that Jesus forms in us as we seek the kingdom and as we seek truth. That's, that's what God receives. God doesn't receive our correct interpretations. God receives the heart that we walk through our lives with. And we must remain humble knowing that there will be times that Christians look to the scriptures and they do not share a similar interpretation. And the way that we get through that and continue in relationship is by holding these things with humility, by understanding that like the, like first Corinthians say, we do look through a glass that is dimly lit and one day we will see things in fullness. But until that point, we must honestly do our best Nobody wants to admit that we're always interpreting, but we are. There is very little of just the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, because we all bring our own interpretive lens there. So that's why we share in community. That's why we continue to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give us insight faithfully all the time. And that's why we dialogue and talk about this stuff. Um, so let's just be honest and open about our our attempts to interpret well instead of being arrogant and self-righteous about it. And, and let's really, and I mean really try our best because you can use that as a cop-out then to not grow and transform and be changed. You can use that as a cop-out to say, well, you know, we all have our own lenses and, you know, we're just going to, you know, this is just where I come down. You must actually seek after Jesus humbly. Ask the Spirit for insight. Get into the scriptures. You can't just decide that you're going to hold this final thing um, without actually doing the work that's required. Um, so try your best, friends. <laughs> Seek after the Spirit of God. Be open. Dialogue well. And we will find the beauty that Jesus has uh, as, as he reveals himself through our word um, that we've been given in the Bible. So let's keep Jesus at the center the whole time. All right, let's, let's pray uh, and ask God to help us. This stuff is... is Truly, truly challenging. Lord, uh, this stuff is really tough, and we acknowledge and ad admit that this is hard sometimes. We pray that you continually help us see the scriptures as you desire to teach us. Help us understand your heart and character because sometimes it can feel overwhelming and confusing, but we trust your spirit and we trust the gift of this living and active word of God that you've given us. And we want to see how it points to the true, full, perfect word of God that is you and your life alive in us. So be with us. 
today as we continue down this path of faithfulness. Guard us from getting off track. Thanks, Lord. Amen.